Hey everybody, welcome to The Asian Americans, and whether this is your first episode or your 96th, we want to welcome you to our show as we share Asian American stories to celebrate and inspire uh, all of us. My name is Jerry Wan, and I'm your host of The Asian Americans, and on today, on episode 96, we talk to my friend, Dr. Jenny Fagel, who is a physician, but also uh, one half of the duo of the life coaching practice, The Grown-Up Asian, who, with along with her friend, uh, Kathleen, are creating a program, or have created a program rather, uh, for Asian folks as we uh, deal with what we've learned, unlearn some of this uh, toxic stuff, and uh, really create a life that is going to be more fulfilling and happier for all of us. And so, uh, looking forward to uh, having you here, my conversation with Jenny, and that there's also going to be ways for you to get in touch with her if you're interested in learning more about the grown-up Asian. We are active on Clubhouse now as the Asian Americans Club, and we're hosting all sorts of amazing conversations, uh, elevating our uh, voices and our stories uh, through our podcast brand. So we are doing live recordings of some of our shows uh, beyond the resumes and Korean American parenting on Clubhouse. And we're just hosting some awesome and fun conversations. Uh, just last week, we had a conversation with Susanna Song, who is the costume director of Minari. We had our friend of the show and marketing expert and now author Eric Su on the show and so many more. And so we encourage you to check us out if you're on Clubhouse already. If you need an invite, DM us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you there as well as here on the podcast world. So thanks again so much for tuning in. And here now is my conversation with Dr. Jenny Fagel. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Asian Americans. Happy New Year again. And by now, we should have a new president in America. So happy 46th presidency to all of us. And... Uh, uh, yesterday, just to give people some context, was uh, January 6th, what may go down as a very, very dark day in our history. So been doing a lot of thinking, been doing a lot of what does this mean for our country? What does this mean for us? So really excited, actually, to talk to my friend today who herself has, has decided not to do a complete career pivot, but to add to what she has already done and what she has studied for and what she is licensed to do uh, to help more people in her shoes, you know, come come to a place where they want to live the life that they want to live. And so really excited to learn about the origin story, the evolution, the story of Dr. Jenny Fagel. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Where, where, where are you and how are you doing? I'm good. I'm in New Jersey. Uh, I think like you and many uh, many of us, you know, in the country was just disillusioned and completely disheartened by what happened yesterday um, in the Capitol. Um, it was just disgraceful. Um, so yesterday was was tough and was heavy for me. Um, I still kind of carry that with me today. Um, but <laughs> I am happy to be here with you. <laughs> Well, I think it's, you know, I, I, I do think that it provides the proper context for, you know, obviously uh, what we want to talk about, which is your story. And just sort of for, for me, anytime things like this happen and uh, a lot of it really is outside of our control. Mm -hmm. Yes, we vote. Yes, we support the candidates that uh, align to our personal and, you know, larger values uh, that we want society to align ourselves with. But a part of it is still then comes back to like, what can we control and what can we not control? Yeah. And career and sort of what we do for a living or, or to make money rather. For a lot of us uh, growing up in traditional Asian households, we don't often think that that is something completely within our control. Yes, there's a lot of pressure. Yes, our parents, as, as well-meaning as they may be, tie, honor, respect, sometimes even love to the mm -hmm. things that we choose to do in life. Mm-hmm. 
extra pressure if your parents do the thing that they want you to do and you know they tie legacy and all this other even more things to you but you know you're a doctor and now you and your friend uh, another doctor another asian american uh, female doctor yeah have a thriving life coaching practice and it's a turn that most people don't expect or most people can't comprehend so excited to learn all about that yeah. But let's roll back the clock a little bit and, and start with the earlier years of Faco family's uh, immigration story to the States. How did it happen? When did it happen? Where'd you guys land? And tell us a little yeah. bit about the early years of Jenny. So my parents um, immigrated in the 70s um, to from the Philippines to Staten Island, New York. Um, so they are physicians as well. Um, they did their medical school in the Philippines, and then they immigrated here, like many others, um, for their training. Uh, so they did their residency in New York, um, and that's where I was born, um, in Staten Island. And, um, you know, when we were, I was much younger, I would say like three or four when we moved to um, Delaware, which is really where I grew up and what I identify like my my childhood, my childhood home. <laughs> What was that like? What would, you know, was it a diverse community? Um, most people, well, for those of you who don't know, Staten Island is a part of New York City, but it's a part of New <laughs> York City that is borough. often not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the only borough that may or may not always vote red. Um, <laughs> yeah. T- tell us about sort of the uh, the demographics of the neighborhood and, you know, what was, who did you grow up with and, and what was that like growing up there? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a def- definitely a very homogenous middle upper class kind of neighborhood. Um, went to private school, um, really had the best kind of opportunities. And, you know, I'm very grateful for all that. Um, definitely not a ton of diversity. Um, like in my high school, I think I was one of two Filipino families. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was definitely just a very sort of cookie cutter, not really diverse, very homogenous, uh, upbringing. Tell me more about that though. Like what did you, yeah, I think a lot of, well, not a lot, many people who've been on the show, you know, live in neighborhoods cause our, our parents, uh, live in, they, they decide where to live. Mm-hmm. without thinking about that, right? Mm-hmm. One, mostly it's economically driven mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily, or worse, not, not worse, in a different way, it's, of course, we're in America. We don't, you know, we want our kids to be in and around, you know, other Americans, which for most of us have been defined by white folks. Yeah, And so there is a, you know, Yes, there are like the the very, very Asian parts of America, like where I grew up in Fullerton, which is, you know, pretty much like Korea mm-hmm. at this point. But there, I think some parents have decided to live in areas that are intentionally or intentionally live in places that are not very diverse to sort of assimilate us into quote unquote American culture, yeah. which I hate that word. And I and I try not to use it as much in sort of my own parenting journey. But yeah, how, how did you view that? When, when did like when did identity become like a known thing to you as you were growing up? I think like more when you're trying to identify, you know, what makes you unique and sort of like fit into like your friend group too, um, is really when I first noticed it. So probably like middle school, um, you're trying to become more independent, but like, it was really tough, you know, like I would say there's some parts of me that does think that my family wanted me to assimilate more into like white culture, but at the same time, 
at home, you know, having really oppressive rules all the time and not being able to go out and not being able to form these friendships and these bonds with the people that we're spending all our time and, you know, our time with in school was, was really difficult. And that translated, you know, that carried on to high school. I would think, you know, high school, middle school is hard for anyone, but, um, that was really difficult. <laughs> you just want to fit in with the people that you're around and no one else had the, those kind of like strict rules. Like, and, and at the same time, it was rules that like, didn't really make sense to me. It was like, I wanted to go out with my friends on a Friday night. And that was like the biggest deal in the world. Like, it wasn't even like you had to earn that. I just wasn't allowed. I would tell my friends that I was like constantly grounded for no reason. <laughs> I don't know. Did you have the same, did you have the same like strict yeah. kind of upbringing? Yeah. My parents were super strict. Um, or my mom rather. We grew up when we moved here in, at eight, we lived in Fullerton, as I just mentioned, which is a suburb of LA in, in a residential, very residential part of Orange County. And so, you know, she controlled transportation. Okay. Right. So you don't go out. Uh, we moved to New York City. Um, so we moved to Bayside first and to Flushing for what ended up being just my high school years. Okay. And so that was a quite a bit of a transition for her because it's like, wait a minute, y'all can take buses. Yeah. I don't. So I, I think that was a big, you know, for her taking care of us and driving us to places was her, <laughs> her way just, of holding not, on to you. Well, not, not only way, yes, well, but not only way, not only her way of showing us love, but also her purpose in life, right? Which was, to, to raise us and, you know, providing food and shelter and transportation was a thing, mm -hmm. you know. But anyway, I think, yeah, I, I think that was common. But, you know, it was sort of, I think every teenager goes through that, right? Yeah, no, definitely. It just seemed, I think, from my standpoint that all my other friends who were predominantly white, they, you know, you turn 16 and it's like, you have a license, you're, you can freely go in and out of your house and make plans for yourself and, you know, have your own agenda. And that just like was never my reality. Um, and to admit that to your peers was also difficult, right? You want them to see you like them, that you're not that different. Um, so that was really hard, I think, growing up. And that's why I loved college because I could do whatever I want. It was awesome. You didn't go very far. I guess from an East Coast perspective, it was far enough um, no, for, for us yeah. West Coast folks. So so you went to college in DC. Mm -hmm. um, what did you, given all that, right? Um, sort of the, the, the strict parenting and sort of you wanting independence mm -hmm. and whatnot. How did that overlay with what you actually wanted to do? Did you, because most people when they go, I don't want to say most, a lot of people when they sort of break from, you know, mom jail mm -hmm. and go to college, <laughs> not, it's, it's, it's freedom in a lot of different ways. And so, you know, did you explore different things? Yeah. You know, we now know you, you know, you, you were, you're a doctor. So like, was that always a path or like, how did you reckon? I think with that? I explored all the things besides like my actual like academic passion. I sort of put myself into auto drive, um, to pursue medicine. And I really, I like, don't remember really thinking about it. I was just like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, just cause that was so talked about and very, you know, I was very heavily influenced if not directly in a very indirect way. Um, how they talked about people that were physicians, like my relatives growing up, you know? Um, and so I would say I explored, you know, the fun stuff. I, 
became really involved in my Filipino club um, and the Asian American club in college. Um, you know, I tried to really dive into that part of me because um, I had literally maybe one or two Filipino friends growing up. Um, so that was really fun. That was really fun. Just meeting, you know, all the Filipino people. <laughs> I'm still like very close friends with them and, you know, the other, uh, the other Asian clubs in college. That does happen when folks go to college. Cause I think it is the first time, depending on where you come from, right? Again, um, I, I grew up in Orange County. I went to high school in New York. I went to USC, which is uh, one of the most, not Diverse, well, relatively in California, it is not the most Asian school because the the public schools are more. Mm -hmm. But it is a very diverse school. But for some, when you meet friends from areas that are not very Asian diverse, you're like, "This is the first time I've had Asian friends. Right. This is the first time I can like find people that we can go eat with, and you don't have to explain shit." Exactly. Like, yeah. Which is which is very which for some people it's new the fact that and, and this is why I think our show and other shows like ours it hits because there's a fundamental baseline of what it means to be Asian American with our parents and with our expectations that we don't have to explain on this show. Yeah, And and so we're, we're starting off at a much higher uh, base level of understanding where people are like, oh yeah, I know what that means. <clears throat> like, you know, and you know, feelings of, you know, and, and these are right, wrong feelings, but man, I wish my mom wasn't so strict, which is also sort of, man, I wish my mom was a white mom because the yeah. white moms, they let their kids do whatever the hell they want. Right. And they turned to, they turned to turn out okay. Right. Yeah. That's actually something that comes up a lot with my husband because he's white. And, um, you know, his family, he grew up also in a very supportive family, but in a very different way. Um, you know, and it's so obvious. Like he talks a lot about, yeah, my parents just wanted me to do something that makes me happy. Like, and that, those, those words, that language wasn't really common, you know, in my household as much. And I think that's fascinating. Well, we'll Pivot just a little bit because uh, you have little people, I have little people. Yeah. How do you decide or think about or I guess think about and, and process sort of raising our children now? You know, your your babies are Filipino and white. Mm -hmm. Mine are Korean, but they're going to be in a different, their version of Korean Americans is different than mine mm -hmm. as it will be very different for their kids. Trying to raise kids in a world that we're not familiar with under circumstances that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. This is literally, you know, I, I think we actually have it easier than our parents because they had to come up, obviously, new language, new culture. Oh, for sure, yeah. But we're, we're, we're trying to raise children in a world that we're not familiar with. Like how much of the Filipino side, perhaps some of the things that you resented as a kid, but now find value in because when you become a parent, a lot of those things come right back and you understand why your parents did the things that they did. Um, how, how do you balance sort of the, by or multicultural parenting mindset yeah. as you think about your own life? I think, uh, you know, it is hard. Um, I, I found, you know, my kids are young. They're two and three, like you said. And so toddler, you know, to rearing toddlers is difficult. So I've really tried to learn more about different parenting styles. And in that, I've been reflecting a lot on how I was raised. Um, I think, you know, I've really gotten into like the positive parenting mindset and really mm. empowering your children um, to think for themselves and, um, you know, not really using, like using discipline more as education instead of punishment. Um, and, you know, I don't, I have to say, I don't do it all the time. It's not like an all or nothing thing. Like, do I make threats? Yeah, sure. Sometimes I do. We all have to, right? Because we have to get the day going. 
Um, but I think that's like one thing, like, I don't know. It's not like I was afraid of my parents, really. I was, I was always like seeking their approval, even till like just recently, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, am I doing what is making them happy? Are they proud of me? Um, and I think those are good feelings and thoughts to have, but at the same time, it never allows you to truly listen to what you want and, and, and trust your um, own intuition. So having my kids now, that's something that I really, I really talk to them about when they don't do like the quote unquote right thing. I'm like, how does that make you feel that you hit your sister? (laughs) You know, it's not just like, okay, now you're going to get punished. It's yeah. I, I have the same thing where like, shit, I, that's the thing that I didn't like as a kid. Yeah. But it's a visceral reaction sometimes, right? Like, like, no, stop, go to your room. Like, I'm like, I need to, you know, it's a journey. It is. Um, How old are your kids again, Jerry? We got a, we got a four and then almost two. Okay. Very similar. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's been great. So for folks like, Jerry, this is not a parenting show. I know. But when we have parents on the show, (laughs) anytime you talk to another parent, you know, and our kids are around the same age, um, always end up talking about the kids. Yeah. And so. Which, which also, I, I think, given what you do now, you know, that does bleed into sort of why you decided to pursue your, your next venture and sort of, it's not about motherhood, right? But it is, uh, you can't take away your parenting identity. So that does inform sort of how you ended up there and then sort of how you want other people to think about how they spend not just their tech, quote unquote nine to five, but, you know, set up foundations for pathway forward. Yeah. And, and for folks who've been following along to this show, and we've been almost going for about a year. Like, this is the reason why I decided to stick with the media company model, because then I can stay home with my kids yeah. instead of, you know, having to wake up at six to be on somebody else's conference call right. or God forbid, I know friends who've been forced to travel in 2020. And how awful is that, that for really to make a uh, faceless company even more money that they're asking people to risk their lives and jump on planes and go sleep in hotel rooms. Right, right. Very, very awful. Yeah. So tell us about the medicine journey. Did you ever want to quit? Were you always laser focused? Um, What specialty did you want to do and what do you do now? Yeah. What did you do? I definitely thought about quitting a lot of times, to be honest. Um, I think that, you know, it's not uncommon. Um, There's different really hard parts of the whole journey. I think you just think of like, oh, when I get to this next step, then it'll be better. You know, it kind of falls in line with the whole arrival fallacy. You tie up all your happiness um, to the next step. And then when you get there, you're just like, what the F? Still not happy. Um, And so I definitely experienced that. Um, I think, you know, residency was really difficult. And I I was fortunate to go to a pretty supportive... um, not malignant program. Um, but you know, it's just the long hours and you feel isolated. Um, I think there's a lot of focus on the negative and what you're not doing right and ways to improve, um, that you don't really think about what your natural strengths are. Um, that's not something that I thought of, you know, in my training. Um, and so, yeah, I did internal medicine and um, I worked, you know, in inpatient as a hospitalist for a couple years. Um, and then my husband, who's also a physician, he had to go do a year of training in St. Louis. <clears throat> and I had a one-year-old and gave birth to my second baby out there by myself, not really with any family or friends. So I took that year off. 
Um, and that was also very isolating too. Um, and it was hard, you know, going from like working full time with a one-year-old to being at home with a newborn and a one-year-old. Um, so just a lot of different transitions. Um, and then most recently I was doing outpatient primary care, um, which, you know, I feel a lot for the healthcare workers and our frontliners that have just been, you know, (sighs) relentlessly working, um, in the face of this pandemic and, have had to really pivot and um, try to find a way to make this all work. You know, doing telemed, I was doing telemedicine earlier this year with my kids at home and my babysitter who was my aunt and has like asthma and all these lung problems. She had to quit because she was obviously afraid of getting COVID. All of a sudden, you know, (laughs) didn't really have childcare and I just kind of gave myself permission to just reset. And um, that's when I got really connected to the coaching community and found other physician coaches that do this. And, um, you know, I pursued my coach training. I met Kathleen, who's my business partner. And, um, you know, it's been really, it's been really fun and challenging in a different way. How did you just glossed over it, but what was the spark or was there a small growing flame of some sort um, that wanted, that motivated you to explore the coaching world? And because yes, it's not a medical science mm-hmm. as your other prof- your profession is, but it's still in the realm of helping, which I think is, is the common theme. But how did you even know about it? How did you learn about yeah. it? Like, what was the thing that turn from yes to I want to? Well, I think like even before that, even before I was exposed to coaching, I had always had for some reason this entrepreneurial kind of spirit. I was always conjuring up these random things that I could do. I think in my attempt to have more autonomy over my life and my schedule, um, I wanted to like, I don't know, open up a little like general store. I'm really into like visuals and design and aesthetics. I was thinking of doing something like that with like home decor or something. Um, and so I really always wanted something of my own. I just didn't know what that, what that was and what that looked like. Um, and I felt like, you know, I was exposed to coaching, um, at kind of, you know, a serendipitous sort of, um, interaction I had on, on Instagram, actually, I found a, physician who's an internist, um, just like me, um, in Georgia. And she was a physician coach or she is a physician coach. And I ended up just DMing her and talking mm. to her. Cause I had never heard of that before. Like what is a physician coach? Um, and you know, I set up a call with her and she was just so awesome and supportive and told me all about the process and what she does. And she works primarily with physicians, um, other physicians, like helping them through burnout and um, imposter syndrome and, and things like that. And um, that was really my first exposure to it. And it turns out, you know, there's a whole community of physicians who coach, like amongst all different subspecialties too. So there's like an orthopedic surgeon who has a physician coaching business and he coaches other surgeons. I mean, it's kind of crazy and cool to see that other doctors are out there filling this need to support each other. Talk to us about that more because 
we, I don't want to say generalization. Mm -hmm. I always have to feel like I have to make caveats on this show because I, we make broad sweeping statements know, about I our know, community. I know. I, yeah. And it's like, it's not for everybody, but you, you guys should know what I'm saying by now. Like, because of the way, because of the, w the world in which our parents grew up, mm -hmm. 76, you know, my parents were born in the 50s, mm -hmm. like in Asia, regardless of what country, it was a different world. It was a poorer world. It was a world where academics leading to a status or licensed professional job meant security. Doesn't mean that here in America anymore. Meant respect in the community. Doesn't equally translate here anymore. But the world in which they grew up was literally go get you a professional job and life will be great oh, yeah. and suck up everything else because at least you'll be respected in society. You'll have some money and you will study your way out of poverty, right? right? They raised us again, collectively with the same mindset that in a world in America where there was even more academic opportunity because there were better schools and better opportunities that somehow when we reach when we put those letters after our name, whether they be, you know, J-D-D-O-M-D-D-D-S, mm -hmm. whatever, right? Like that life is supposed to just like, you know, the, the heaven's <laughs> gates open up and, you know, unicorns and butterflies right. fly everywhere. And, but it's not. Yeah. Right. And, and more so, I think there's a lot of pressure because I have medical folks in my family. You know, I have friends. I went to business school. Other people the same way. Like it's almost the world around us guilts us into not having any feelings around those things because they sometimes bluntly, but definitely subtly say, shut up. You're a doctor. You're a lawyer. Mm -hmm. You're an MBA. You make good money. You're a banker. You're a consultant. Like, whoa, you know, like first world problems. Like, sure. And, and so we get not punked, but a lot of people keep that shit inside, right? Because they don't feel we, we haven't let people feel because Yes, if you're measuring strictly by traditional standards of academics, of degrees, of job or income, there's a group of people that shouldn't complain right. in theory. Yes. But more so, I would argue on the flip side that because they have spent more years pursuing the thing that actually might be giving them pause, that pain or that confusion or that conflict is even greater, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine, you know... Look at, I don't know, I always point to Ken Jeong, right? Like, dude yeah, Ken Jeong. went to med school, right? Like, yeah. was a doctor. Right. And then said, I want to go do, tell jokes, right? Yeah. And of course, it wasn't overnight and it was an right. overlap transition. But don't you think it's harder for him to give up his medical degree and career to go tell jokes than it is for somebody who, you know, not to make light of it, but like, Joking is their passion and they're 21. They don't have a family, a wife, you know, med school right. debt, so on and so forth, right? So tell us about some of the conversations that you've had with your friends, with your peers, your classmates. And, you know, like, how do you reckon with that? I mean, we sort of know now, obviously, through your coaching practice, like what you want to do to help others. But yeah. when coaching wasn't as robust as it is today, when yeah. it's becoming more, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more and more acceptable to talk about mental health for established and accomplished professionals, but how did you reckon with that? And what were some of the things that you sought out? Because these are things that you probably shouldn't have posted on Facebook because then you're like, whoa, how dare you complain, right? Yeah, exactly. And I really, really struggled with that. I don't think I ever posted any of these internal struggles on Facebook because that is how it would have been received. Um, you have a supportive family. You have a husband who has a great job. Um, who are you to complain about 
your job and being unhappy. Um, and so I really did internalize a lot of those things myself. Um, and it would really come out in these conversations I'd have with my husband. And, and a lot of it was very like, why am I still doing this? Like, I'm not happy right now. We're in a pandemic. This is happening with like my childcare. My childcare is gone. Like, how am I supposed to do this? Why am I being forced to do this? And he legit one day was just like, you are seeking permission for everyone from everyone but yourself. Like, give yourself permission to do what you want to do. Because um, I was very much like, well, if I quit, then my mom's going to say this. If I quit, then this, my my old colleagues are going to think this about me. Um, and really just shifted. I mean, it's funny that it was him who gave me that insight. Because um, he's not like a coach or anything. But he knows me and he knows that that is really what I was caring about this whole time was what everyone else would think. Um, so yeah, I think like allowing myself to give myself permission was really everything. I think the P word is something we don't talk about enough in our community. Yeah. But when we, but when we talk about academics, it's a permission driven entity. When we, because people give you grades and access into institutions yeah. and somebody else decides what you cannot and cannot, can or cannot study at which school or not. When we talk about everything, it's very permission driven. When we talk about doctors are, are a little bit unique because you do uh, have more options to go independent than most people. But when you study for, uh, you know, to be a lawyer or as an MBA or as somebody else, you're generally doing it to be an employee of somebody else, mm-hmm. which means that you are investing years and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to live and exist in a permission-driven structure. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about the fact that we then give up a lot of who makes the decisions around our identity, our personal brand, our value right. to society. Because who decides what raise you get? Right. A a room full of white people who don't know you. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they decide you are worthy of 2% this year. Screw you. Right. Right. Like, why do you get to decide what my value is worth? Right. And and how do you, and then even before that, who gets to decide under what rubric our value is designed and decided upon? And so to break free from that, you do need sometimes an additional external push to like help you see it that way. But yeah, I, I think it's just that achievement, uh, meritocracy world that we are, we continue to be taught in. And again, that's something that I'm desperately trying to be very mindful of as we raise our kids every day mm-hmm. to not let them tie their own self-worth to accomplishments right. and just, you know, more holistic things. So if you're listening out there and uh, maybe you're, you're working your um, very not so fun corporate job and you have us on the background or I was going to say commute, but actually if you're commuting to work, thank you. Cause that means you have a very important very job. Important job yeah. Otherwise you should be, or at least your employer should be nice enough to let you work at home. Talk, talk to us more about that. Like you, so you had this conversation with your, your husband yeah. and I think it sometimes helps to have somebody who's that close to you come from a completely different world without the same set of prejudices and right. expectations and experiences. Um, how, how did that then turn the light bulb on to, I want to learn this more Mm -hmm. because not only did you start to believe in it, you then came to a point where you're like, well, maybe I want to help other people get to the same point in my life. Yeah. I mean, I got, so I got coached myself um, from this physician coach I had mentioned. Um, And a lot of these things, I have kind of always been into self-help, you know, reading books here and there. And, um, it was, but this was like the first time I really applied what I was learning and 
you know, I always thought coaching, life coaching was kind of woo-woo, to be honest. Um, I I tell this story about how I remember watching like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and Rob Kardashian had a life coach who would just like live with him and follow him around and just like hype him up. And that's like what I thought a life coach was. Um, but, you know, really deep down, it's all about about managing your mind and, and mindset and um, the power that you can harness from that. And I never really thought about that much. Um, I thought I was just kind of living my life. Like, this is what's happening to me. Okay. This is, you know, I have a lot of opportunities. I'm grateful, but I didn't really think that I had a say in the direction that it was going in or, um, you know, trying new things. I didn't want to fail at anything. That was also another, um, big hurdle for me to overcome. I was very afraid of failure and afraid of, um, what that would look like to other people. Um, because, you know, I think I spent my whole life just trying to check all the boxes of looking good on paper um, and going to the right schools and doing the right programs and whatever. And so um, this idea, wrapping my head around this idea of, you know, starting a business and, um, you know, managing that and being the person that's in charge was hard and it was, it's challenging, but it's also really fun and invigorating. And it's cool to just see, you know, what, what I can do. (laughs) We could probably talk about that piece for, for a while. Yeah. One thing that I think some folks might have a question about, I certainly did before I I learned more about both worlds Mm -hmm. is how does a technically trained doctor who I get, how, how do you, like, how do you differentiate that in coaching? So when we talk to our friends who are psychologists, mm-hmm. uh, licensed therapists, psychiatrists, even coaching for the most part, and, and this is an objective, true statement, is an unregulated and unlicensable field because it's not a hard science. Yeah. Yes, there are organizations that grant you certifications mm-hmm. or like you went through this thing, but who's certifying the certifiers? Right. We don't know. Right. So like, how how do you know and how do you manage your business mm-hmm. ethically, morally, you know, from that perspective so that people don't see you as the guy who follows around Rob Kardashian yeah. goes, cool, <laughs> good, good hair day, right? Good yeah. hair day, right? Like, because that's, again, but that's what media has taught us to believe, Yeah. right? No, you're, you're right. Um, it's also rare from the perspective, Jenny, that I think people with a pr- first career that's not in that field or a concurrent career that is um that simultaneously checks some of the more traditional boxes yeah it's not that often or not so common for us to see those people and so again i don't want to make a judgmental statement about what people who can do what in their lives yeah but it does lead a little bit of credibility when somebody like you and kathleen because the first question is like wait a minute, they're doctors and then they're doing this? Yeah, like, no. How, how do you, how's that? Yeah. I totally get it. That's something my parents asked me to. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, wait a minute, what are you doing? Um, but no, you're absolutely right. So coaching is definitely um, an unregulated field. So I think it's just when you're looking for a coach, you just have to keep that in mind. Um, people are trained like in all sorts of different capacities. Um, but the other thing is that, and how I differentiate coaching from, you know, say therapy 
or counseling, um, which have advanced degrees. And I totally, completely acknowledge that. Coaching really is very future focused and forward focused. Um, so we we try to understand our present situations in order to move forward. So we really focus a lot on fulfillment, um, purpose, and achievement. Whereas I think therapy, um, you know, focuses more on your past and really untangling um, those kind of issues, maybe from childhood, um, maybe past trauma. Um, I think what makes you know, the fact that we do this unique is we have a basic medical background. Um, so, you know, we can, for the most part, understand and, and identify and see when there's deeper things involved and, and make the appropriate referrals to our colleagues um, that are trained in psychiatry or in counseling and social work. Um, and the other thing is that it isn't one or the other. Like we have a couple clients that have a therapist, have a psychiatrist and also have a coach. Um, and I think it can complement each, each other very well. Um, so the things that perhaps they don't have time to talk about in therapy, they can talk about with us like goal setting, um, and accountability. Um, and like I had mentioned, fulfillment and purpose and trying to, find ways to, to fit that into sort of like a holistic approach. Thanks for clarifying that. Cause I, I, it's something that I think a lot of people as coaching becomes more accepted, more known, mm-hmm. more uh, known about. So that's very, very cool. So what do you and Kathleen coach about? Who, who do you, who do you help? Who do you want to do? And then tie it back to sort of, you know, how does that, where did you end up? How did you end up there from your low in life experiences? Mm-hmm you know, starting with sort of growing up in the, you know, the, the iron fist household to then picking medicine and then one day realizing, hey, maybe this isn't what I want to do. But like, how does that all boil down to what you want to do and who do you want to help now? Yeah. So me and Kathleen, um, we help Asian women. Um, most of them are are high achieving professional women um, who feel like they have checked, you know, all the grown up boxes in life and are still feeling unfulfilled, still seeking purpose. Um, A lot of our clients want to have more, you know, conflict-free, more peaceful relationships, um, especially with their parents. Um, We, we help a lot of women that do struggle with their, um, with their moms is a very common thing. I think the mom and daughter relationship is especially unique um, because I find that like Asian moms, they parent how they were, how they were reared, you know? So it's just, you know, a lot of intergenerational, um, kind of passed down like, okay, well, this is like how I was treated. So I'm going to treat you this way. Um, and, and really, you know, at the end of the day, we want to help women, um, that were like us. Um, I think Kathleen, you know, she really did want to become a physician and, um, she worked really hard and, and got into some of the most competitive positions. And she's now, you know, medical director and um, works a lot with trainees as well. Um, But I think speaking for myself, um, I want to just empower other Asian women out there that you do have a say um, and you do have a choice. And, you know, life is hard. So you you can make a choice, you know, how you want that to play out. Um, you don't have to just be uh, on the, um, you know, a passenger in, in your, um, journey of life, basically. That is awesome. Cause I think we need more of it. 
And we need it more specifically from people like you and Kathleen and so many of our other friends who on paper seems to have checked the boxes, have uh, done what they were quote unquote supposed to do, what they should have done. All words that are really, really toxic to having somebody uh, feel better about their choices in life. But it is really nice uh, because then it's, we need more, right? We need more people to be a doctor and something. We need mm -hmm. more people to be a lawyer and then something. Right. Maybe it's and then on a left turn like Ken yeah, Jeong did. Right. Or maybe it's and then in addition in to. In addition to. And I haven't even really defined that for myself. Like that's a very common question people ask me. It's like, oh, what, well, are you going to go back? Or, And I'm still making that decision. I think also yeah. when the pandemic's over and my kids are in school, <laughs> I can maybe be able to um, juggle a few things more. Um but also I kind of want to see where this all leads to. And and another thing that I've really processed this year is the guilt that accompanies, quote unquote, leaving medicine during the pandemic. Because um, I uh, was always, you know, I would feel very guilty about that. Yeah. And not being on the front line, um, you know, with, with my colleagues. And I think it's a personal decision. I understand the privilege that I have being even, even able to make that decision and stay home with my kids. Yeah. Um, but I've also realized that there's many ways to serve. Um, and I see it in the people that we're helping. Um, you know, even in our group coaching right now, there's, there's women that, you know, they are open and vulnerable and they thank us for just being able to, to hold that there's a space, there's a safe space for them to talk like this. And so I remind myself of that and I anchor myself to, to, to that and to seeing results in my clients. Um, and it makes me feel like I am doing my true purpose for this moment in time. I, I am not saying I'm never going to go back to medicine or find a way to fit it into my family lifestyle. Um, and I think that that's, that's okay. You know, it's not a perfect, pretty packaged answer. No, and, and not, nothing about, very few things in life are. And again, to go back to what expectations that we were raised with, I think, you know, I, I sense from a lot of the things that you're sharing, just still living in, not living, but like we can't ever escape decades of being raised under the expectation of expectations, yeah. if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. So the guilt thing, I, I totally get, you know, so most, most of you guys by now know, or maybe you're listening for the first time, you know, my wife is a pharmacist. And so she also has the guilt of like, I'm here to provide a service that is very needed in the community, but I put my life at risk and the, uh, the lives of our family. Like we haven't seen my parents mm -hmm. very much in the last, like, so then it becomes like, well, money aside, like what is, do you... <laughs> When you take that oath as, as medical professionals do, or when you make that decision outside of an oath to, to serve, like, where's the line, right? Like, where's the line where you prioritize yourself? Because when you talk to particularly frontline nurses mm -hmm. who do more with less and get rewarded less, but they're the ones that are actually doing the brunt of just, you know, the... Oh yeah, they're the, the very, very front line. Front line, yeah. But like the guilt that they feel and the videos that we see, and you know, it's just it's awful. But at some point, 
I, I hope that people see it okay and also even more so encouraging themselves to put themselves first. Yeah. I know it's hard and this is not like leave the sick person behind, but you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. You know, the, the example always is, you know, put on your life vest and your, you know, yeah. your, your uh, oxygen, oxygen mask on the airplane before mm -hmm. this other person. And so what sucks is that here in this country, given the systems that we have and the profit-driven medical enterprises that the government has let exist in the first place and thrive um, without much regulation for decades, no wonder we're in this position, right? They weren't, the system currently as it exists when you're profiting from healthcare is not supposed to care not only about the patients, but the healthcare providers. Right. Consultations, because somebody's feeling nervous, is bad for business, right? Get in and get out so we can measure you and get more people seen is good for business. Right, profit-driven. And so, of course it is. So when we talk about people's medical providers' mental health and the world is giving them lip service and saying, you are our heroes and, right. you know, Uber makes bullshit commercials or whatever else, like most people without medical folks in their family go, oh, okay, they, they should feel better about themselves. We, we love them or mm -hmm. you get a dollar raise or, you know, some other BS thing. But whether you are a uh, medical professional working literally on the front lines or whatever it is, uh, we hope that this conversation has given you some pause or at least uh, given you some motivation or permission as if you need permission, we're here to give it to you to think about how you're being affected all through this, not just physically, because yes, people are physically exhausted after having been through this crap for 10 months, yeah. but people's emotional and mental health is being impacted right now. And they're being told to go, go, go without pausing. And so what are the long-term effects of that? And um, yes, we, Jenny and I speak from the privilege of having choice in certain matters mm -hmm. um, and not everybody does. So we, understand and we admit that. Um, but think about what you want. You do not, no single nurse, no single doctor, no single pharmacist, no, no single EMT person should bear the brunt of the country, the community's entire health or existence or, you know, I, I don't know where I want to go with that, but I just want people to know that you alone should never be expected to take care of everything as, as, troubling or as burdensome as it may seem. And, and for you to find help, it doesn't need to be a coach. It doesn't need exactly. to be a doctor. It doesn't need to be anything, but um, do something for yourself. And then for some, maybe it's listening to this show. Maybe it's your weekly escape to go listen to somebody else's story and sit in a car. And again, it's hard because we shouldn't be going anywhere either. Right. right? That's why this, that's why this whole pandemic sucks. It's just isolating. People feel very alone. Um, I, I, have a lot of nurse friends. I have a lot of doctor friends and everyone's just so emotionally raw about the whole thing. Um, I was on an alumni call with, um, I went to Georgetown. It was a Georgetown alumni call and there were speakers <clears throat> from my class. And one of my friends is a nurse practitioner and she she was going to talk about, you know, how she volunteered. Um, she talked about how she volunteered in Queens and she couldn't get through the whole thing. I mean, she literally was just crying the entire time. And I think everyone out there that's frontliners, you need to hold space for that. 
there needs to be mm-hmm. some space. It could be an informal space like it was for me and my colleagues. It could be with friends. It could be with family. It could be in the sense of a coach or a therapist. But you need to be able to hold space to process this because this is traumatic. Um, I, yeah. I hear it in my brother when I talk to him. Um, he's a nocturnist, internal medicine on the front line. And he tells me, you know, the stuff that he's seen, he will never forget. These are people that are young and abled and healthy. And it reminds us of our friends and of us. And he's had to sit there late at night, you know, holding their hand as they pass away. It's just, I I think the ramifications and the repercussions of this and its emotional toll on us as a country won't will not even be fully materialized and realized for for a while. It will not. And so if you have a few moments after, even right now, uh, we don't mind if you turn us off, uh, check it on some friends. Text them if that's normal to you. Call them if you're old and <laughs> making random phone calls is not a foreign activity to you. Uh, but check it on people because I think human connection is something that we've had to redefine and just because they're a doctor, just because they make some good money, just because whatever does not mean that they're immune, uh, to use a health term, they're not immune from feelings of loneliness and anxiety and, and helplessness. And we're going on almost a year of this shit. Yeah. And so as, as we talked about earlier, uh, you know, we should have a new president by now, by the time you're listening to this with legislation and with, uh, you know, actual leaders who care more about us. I, I wouldn't dare to go say that they're the best people for the job. They were the better choice for the job and um, or anybody would have been better. But um, ho- hopefully we're headed in the right direction. But in the meantime, we have to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves locally within our own homes, with our families. Um, but we also have to look out for our own community members, people that look like me and you, people who could be related to you. Because here's the other unfortunate part about what we've been through in 2020 um, as, as Americans. People don't look out for us. We have been the victims of so much hate, so much uh, racism. Filipino nurses in particular Mm -hmm. have died at a disproportionate rate. However, every time you see a nurse get interviewed on TV, it's a 20-something pretty white girl. Yeah. And so you ask the average person in the middle of the country, they wouldn't even associate, you know, we know it because it's a part of our community, but they wouldn't even associate that, right? Mm So we've been disproportionately impacted financially, our small businesses, medically, all across the board. Uh, I, I hope 2021 is a year of healing. I hope 2021 is a year of rebuilding and just processing. It's going to take a long time for us to do that because it's not over. We're not good enough, smart enough, thoughtful enough to get our vaccine distribution strategy right by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so we'll have to suffer through that. And so, yeah, you know, be well, be well and take care of yourself. And um, again, it doesn't need to be through any professional service. It could be just a group of friends who jump on a call. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't have to be a Zoom call. Doesn't have to be anything, but just prioritize you. Hell, if that means watching like eight hours of Shit's Creek or something, <laughs> something stupid, like do it, right? Because it's, it's hard. I, I, I get it's hard. Jenny, I want to thank you for jumping on. Um, we've, we've met on Instagram a few months ago yeah, thank uh, you through so your much. coaching practice and, and it's been fun getting to know you and Kathleen. And, you know, we, we've talked about a whole lot of other fun business stuff and then potential things that uh, we want to do together later yeah. down the line to uh, help people and, and put money into our kids' pockets. <laughs> and, and so it's been fun and it's really, really inspiring uh, to see you 
and Kathleen and other people, as I mentioned before, who've checked the boxes traditionally and then have decided to do something else. Because I think people aren't used to seeing that, right? Um, people are not used to seeing that, particularly because, or in many cases, it's the ego of the person themselves that says, I am a doctor. I can't do anything else. Right. I, my, my rep, my ego, my, I can't handle it. You I can't explain to somebody else. You wrap your whole identity up in, mm -hmm. in that degree. Yep. That's my dad. So, you know, uh, it's, you know, when we, yeah. So another, another story for another time, but you know, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pitch it. Uh, if you guys don't know, <laughs> I'm going to guest on episode 100 and for the first time you'll hear what the hell is Jerry about? Yeah. Um, I want to hear that. <laughs> I think everybody wants to hear that. Uh, not not to hype it up too much, but you know, it is important for us to have these discussions. And so um, I, I would love to wrap up the show and then help you finish it out. Um, you know, we finish out every show with the Dears and Americans letter, you know, whatever it is that you want to share. And in particular, would love for you to share some things that are on your mind to maybe some of our younger friends who either are in the process of pursuing medicine or currently practicing medicine or as we've learned about the Fauci effect that are mm, now yeah. considering studying medicine. Mm -hmm. Share with us some insight that you've learned or, you know, that you are experiencing now at the intersection of uh, medicine and life's passions. If it overlaps, great. If it doesn't, whatever. So help us finish out the show and speak a letter to our community and complete the letter, Dear Asian Americans. Dear Asian Americans, um, you are not alone. Um, you have the power to decide how you want your life to play out. Um, so whether that's you feel like you're stuck in a career, you feel like something's missing from your life, you can explore that. You need to give yourself permission to um, find what lights you up from the inside. Um, and the best way to do that is to get to know who you are. Um, you know, silence all the chit-chat around you and all the chatter from other people and your parents and your relatives who may be well-meaning, um, but they're not you. And they're not going to be the ones that wake up every day in the morning um, to, you know, show up to work. And um, whether you've figured this out, you know, as a pre-med <laughs> or you already have your first job, it's just never too late to, to pivot um, and to create the life that you want. And you are now well on your way to creating the life that you want in addition to helping other people do the same. And we'll make the obvious caveat. Um, Jenny doesn't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Only you do. Yeah. And people like her, people like me, we can help you sort of see things in a different way to maybe ask you, ask some questions of you or, you know, um, give you our perspective, because obviously, when you see things in externally, you get a different perspective. But live life on your own terms, whatever that may mean. We've talked today a lot about expectation and permission, and what that means for a Filipino American doctor who has now decided to pivot and, and you know, help people in a different way. So we'll put where you can find Dr. Jenny on the internet at The Grown Up Asian and other places where you can connect with her and learn more about her. And so, yeah, reach out to her if you just want to talk. We've seen also, um, I've been very fortunate enough to meet a lot of other Asian American doctors and or other professionals who I know it's, it's not coincidental, but happens to be more women 
uh, who are now stepping into their own and creating personal brands and businesses and additional, not only, you know, uh, businesses and things, but additional streams of revenue and things like that for themselves. And I think it's wonderful. Um, I think it's wonderful that people are doing what they want because if not for 2020, can you imagine having to tell your parents, Hey, I know you suffered and busted your balls to send me to medical school. And now I don't want to do that anymore. Right. But I hope 2020 has given everybody some perspective, some humbling perspective to know that life is short. We can't, you got to live life exactly the way you want it to, because why not? Uh, It's short. And so Jenny, thanks for jumping on. Best of luck to you. Thank you. And Kathleen, as you guys uh, enter the next chapters of your business into parenthood for you and whatever else life may bring, because this might be your jam now. Right. Yeah, exactly. But who's to say it's not, it's going to still be your jam in three to five years. Who knows? (laughs) And that's the beauty of it. That is the beauty of it. And so to folks out there, enjoy your day today. Thank you for tuning in. Go enjoy the Biden presidency. (laughs) Because we're not right now as we speak (laughs) on January 7th, but it is when you're listening to us. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in, wishing you health, happiness and safety as we navigate yet another challenging year. Be well, be safe, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If that resonated with you, if that uh, hit you somewhere uh, in your heart, we encourage you to share this out uh, amongst your friends and your peers. Uh, Check us out at DearAsianAmericans.com and at the Asian Americans, wherever you can find us on social. And we encourage you to get in touch with us. Uh, hello at theasianamericans.com is our email address, or you can just hit us up through the DMs anywhere. You can also get in touch with me directly at hello at jerrywan.com if you want to chat about anything. And so thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Jenny. And wherever you are, whenever you may be listening to this, foremost, health, safety, and happiness. Please be well. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you next time here on The Erased Americans.